the Bible, the most unique book in all of human history. It claims to be divine in origin, and it delivers a message that, if true, affects every human being on the planet Earth, in this life, and in whatever awaits us when this life is over. The Bible is unique in its survival. Over the past 2,000 years, no other book has been subjected to the intense scrutiny that the Bible has endured. Generations of linguists, historians, and archaeologists have explored the details of the Bible's production and tested the accuracy of its transmission to us today. Critics and foes have come and gone. Problems have been raised and solved, and still the Bible stands, totally alone in the degree of its historical accuracy and reliability. The Bible is also unique in foretelling future events. The Old Testament alone contains over 2,000 specific predictions about people, cities, nations, and empires. Predictions made hundreds of years before being perfectly fulfilled in history. The Bible is unique in its influence. It's been called the fountainhead of Western civilization and is by far the most quoted text in America's founding documents. Millions of men, women, and children from every station and walk of life have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar. Happy as I could possibly be to be with you this evening. Thank you for joining us. This is a great occasion for me each and every day. Honestly, folks, it is a privilege to be able to open the scriptures, the book of books, this book that I have loved. I have memorized so very many passages from it and so many verses. It has guided my life faithfully now for so many years through childhood and teenage years and college years, traveling and ministering around the world marriage, children, such a faithful, reliable guide for life. It describes life as it really is. This is not some pie-in-the-sky, elitist, religious tome that only certain people can understand, deeply spiritual, but it's real. It's everyday life. What an amazing series of books, 66 books written over a period of 1,400 years, but there is a continuity, there is a consistency, there is a ring of truth about it real people in real times, in real life, how God related to them individually, families, couples, and also nations and people groups. We can learn so much about reality as we walk through the scriptures together. Well, we're going to continue our way through the book of Second Kings tonight. I'll catch you up on that in a moment. Right now, though, let's go to that beautiful Psalm 72 with its theme of the perfect king, which is a foreshadowing of Jesus the Messiah. Psalm 72. Give justice to the king, O God, and righteousness to the king's son. Help him judge your people in the right way. Let the poor always be treated fairly. May the mountains yield prosperity for all, and may the hills be fruitful, because the king does what is right. Help him to defend the poor, to rescue the children of the needy, and to crush their oppressors. May he live as long as the sun shines, as long as the moon continues in the skies, yes, forever. May his reign be as refreshing as the springtime rains, like the showers that water the earth. May all the godly flourish during his reign. 
May there be abundant prosperity until the end of time. May he reign from sea to sea and from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Desert nomads will bow before him. His enemies will fall before him in the dust. The western kings of Tarshish and the islands will bring him tribute. The eastern kings of Sheba and Seba will bring him gifts. All kings will bow before him, and all nations will serve him. He will rescue the poor when they cry to him. He will help the oppressed who have no one to defend them. He feels pity for the weak and the needy, and he will rescue them. He will save them from oppression and from violence, for their lives are precious to him. Long live the king! May the gold of Sheba be given to him. May the people always pray for him and bless him all day long. May there be abundant crops throughout the land, flourishing even on the mountaintops. May the fruit trees flourish as they do in Lebanon, sprouting up like grass in a field. May the king's name endure forever. May it continue as long as the sun shines. May all nations be blessed through him and bring him praise. Bless the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does such wonderful things. Bless His glorious name forever. Let the whole earth be filled with His glory. Amen and Amen. This ends the prayers of David, son of Jesse. End of reading, Psalm 72. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. And we are back. Thank you for joining us again. This is The Bible Live. We just listened to a beautiful passage from Psalm 72. It says, This ends the prayers of David, son of Jesse. This is the... End of book two within the Psalms. Did you know that there are several books within the Psalms? They're divided into sections, and these sections relate, generally speaking, in terms of theme, to the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. A general way to outline them and understand them, this was the end of book two, Psalms 42 through 72, Book 3, mainly written by Asaph and Asaph's descendants, is similar to the book of Leviticus, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. There's a theme of God's holiness and of worship, and we'll pick up on that. But this beautiful psalm tonight about the king, as it looks forward to the perfect leader, the perfect righteous, just, but at the same time merciful, generous leader. Of course, looking forward to the Messiah who would come. Well, let's turn back now to our readings in the books of First and Second Kings. Tonight we pick up at chapter 6. We've just been reading about a number of miracles of Elisha, the successor to Elijah as the principal prophet of the realm, particularly the last great miracle here, the healing of Naaman in chapter 5, this commander of the armies of Aram to the northwest of Israel, the great power of the moment with their capital in Damascus. We're going to pick up now as God delivers Israel from the attacks of the Arameans out of Damascus. Let's listen now and learn from the Bible life. 2 Kings 6, 8 through 9, 15. 2 Kings 6. When the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, We will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. 
But immediately Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, Do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God, warning the people there to be on their guard. This happened several times. The king of Aram became very upset over this. He called in his officers and demanded, Which of you is a traitor? Who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It's not us, my lord, one of the officers replied. Elisha the prophet in Israel tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. The king commanded, Go and find out where Elisha is, and we will send troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Ah, my lord, what will we do now? he cried out to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened his servant's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. As the Aramean army advanced toward them, Elisha prayed, O Lord, please make them blind. And the Lord did as Elisha asked. Then Elisha went out and told them, You have come the wrong way. This isn't the right city. Follow me, and I will take you to the man you are looking for. And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they had entered Samaria, Elisha prayed, O Lord, now open their eyes and let them see. And the Lord did, and they discovered that they were in Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he shouted to Elisha, My father, should I kill them? Of course not, Elisha told him. Do we kill prisoners of war? Give them food and drink, and send them home again to their master. So the king made a great feast for them, and then sent them home to their king. After that, the Aramean raiders stayed away from the land of Israel. Some time later, however, King Ben-Hadad of Aram mobilized his entire army and besieged Samaria. As a result, there was a great famine in the city. After a while, even a donkey's head sold for two pounds of silver, and a cup of dove's dung cost about two ounces of silver. One day, as the king of Israel was walking along the wall of the city, a woman called out to him, "'Please help me, my lord the king.' "'If the Lord doesn't help you, what can I do?' he retorted. "'I have neither food nor wine to give you.' But then the king asked, "'What is the matter?' She replied, "'This woman proposed that we eat my son one day and her son the next. So we cooked my son and ate him. Then the next day I said, "'Kill your son so we can eat him.' But she had hidden him. When the king heard this, he tore his clothes in despair. And as the king walked along the wall, the people could see that he was wearing sackcloth underneath, next to his skin. May God kill me if I don't execute Elisha son of Shaphat this very day, the king vowed. Elisha was sitting in his house at a meeting with the leaders of Israel when the king sent a messenger to summon him. But before the messenger arrived, Elisha said to the leaders, A murderer has sent a man to kill me. When he arrives, shut the door and keep him out. His master will soon follow him. While Elisha was still saying this, the messenger arrived. And the king said, It is the Lord who has brought this trouble on us. Why should I wait any longer for the Lord? You're listening to the Bible live with Soapy Dollar. Second Kings 7 
Elisha replied, Hear this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, five quarts of fine flour will cost only half an ounce of silver, and ten quarts of barley grain will cost only half an ounce of silver. The officer assisting the king said to the man of God, That couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. But Elisha replied, You will see it happen, but you won't be able to eat any of it. Now there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. We will starve if we stay here, and we will starve if we go back into the city. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So that evening they went out to the camp of the Arameans, but no one was there. For the Lord had caused the whole army of Aram to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel has hired the Hittites and Egyptians to attack us, they cried out. So they panicked and fled into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else, and they fled for their lives. When the lepers arrived at the edge of the camp, they went into one tent after another, eating, drinking wine, and carrying out silver and gold and clothing and hiding it. Finally they said to each other, This is not right. This is wonderful news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some terrible calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people at the palace. So they went back to the city and told the gatekeepers what had happened that they had gone out to the Aramean camp, and no one was there. The horses and donkeys were tethered, and the tents were all in order, but there was not a single person around. Then the gatekeeper shouted the news to the people in the palace. The king got out of bed in the middle of the night and told his officers, I know what has happened. The Arameans know we are starving, so they have left their camp and have hidden in the fields. They are expecting us to leave the city, and then they will take us alive and capture the city. One of his officers replied, We had better send out scouts to check into this. Let them take five of the remaining horses. If something happens to them, it won't be a greater loss than if they stay here and die with the rest of us. So two chariots with horses were prepared, and the king sent scouts to see what had happened to the Aramean army. They went all the way to the Jordan River, following a trail of clothing and equipment that the Arameans had thrown away in their mad rush to escape. The scouts returned and told the king about it. Then the people of Samaria rushed out and plundered the Aramean camp. So it was true that five quarts of fine flour were sold that day for half an ounce of silver, and ten quarts of barley grain were sold for half an ounce of silver, just as the Lord had promised. The king appointed his officer to control the traffic at the gate, but he was knocked down and trampled to death as the people rushed out. So everything happened exactly as the man of God had predicted when the king came to his house. The man of God had said to the king, By this time tomorrow in the markets of Samaria, five quarts of fine flour will cost half an ounce of silver, and ten quarts of barley grain will cost half an ounce of silver. The king's officer had replied, That couldn't happen even if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. And the man of God had said, You will see it happen, but you won't be able to eat any of it. And so it was, for the people trampled him to death at the gate. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Second Kings 8 Elisha had told the woman whose son he had brought back to life, Take your family and move to some other place, 
For the Lord has called for a famine on Israel that will last for seven years. So the woman did as the man of God instructed. She took her family and lived in the land of the Philistines for seven years. After the famine ended, she returned to the land of Israel, and she went to see the king about getting back her house and land. As she came in, the king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. The king had just said, Tell me some stories about the great things Elisha has done. And Gehazi was telling the king about the time Elisha had brought a boy back to life. At that very moment, the mother of the boy walked in to make her appeal to the king. Look, my lord, Gehazi exclaimed, Here is the woman now, and this is her son, the very one Elisha brought back to life. Is this true? the king asked her. And she told him that it was. So he directed one of his officials to see to it that everything she had lost was restored to her, including the value of any crops that had been harvested during her absence. Now Elisha went to Damascus, the capital of Aram, where King Ben-Hadad lay sick. Someone told the king that the man of God had come. When the king heard the news, he said to Hazael, Take a gift to the man of God, then tell him to ask the Lord if I will get well again. So Hazael loaded down forty camels with the finest products of Damascus as a gift for Elisha. He went in to him and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad, the king of Aram, has sent me to ask you if he will recover. And Elisha replied, Go and tell him, You will recover. But the Lord has shown me that he will actually die. Elisha stared at Hazael with a fixed gaze until Hazael became uneasy. Then the man of God started weeping. What's the matter, my lord? Hazael asked him. Elisha replied, I know the terrible things you will do to the people of Israel. You will burn their fortified cities, kill their young men, dash their children to the ground, and rip open their pregnant women. Then Hazael replied, How could a nobody like me ever accomplish such a great feat? But Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you are going to be the king of Aram. When Hazael went back, the king asked him, What did Elisha tell you? And Hazael replied, He told me that you will surely recover. But the next day Hazael took a blanket, soaked it in water, and held it over the king's face until he died. Then Hazael became the next king of Aram. Jehoram, son of King Jehoshaphat of Judah, began to rule over Judah in the fifth year of King Joram's reign in Israel. Joram was the son of Ahab. Jehoram was thirty-two years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. But Jehoram followed the example of the kings of Israel, and was as wicked as King Ahab, for he had married one of Ahab's daughters. So Jehoram did what was evil in the Lord's sight. But the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah, for he had made a covenant with David, and promised that his descendants would continue to rule forever. During Jehoram's reign, the Edomites revolted against Judah and crowned their own king. So Jehoram went with all his chariots to attack the town of Zaire. The Edomites surrounded him and his charioteers, but he escaped at night under cover of darkness. Jehoram's army, however, deserted him and fled. Edom has been independent from Judah to this day. The town of Libna revolted about that same time. The rest of the events in Jehoram's reign and all his deeds are recorded in the book of the history of the kings of Judah. When Jehoram died, he was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. Then his son Ahaziah became the next king. Ahaziah, son of Jehoram, began to rule over Judah in the twelfth year of King Joram's reign in Israel. 
King Joram was the son of Ahab. Ahaziah was twenty-two years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem one year. His mother was Athaliah, a granddaughter of King Omri of Israel. Ahaziah followed the evil example of King Ahab's family, doing what was evil in the Lord's sight, because he was related by marriage to the family of Ahab. Ahaziah joined King Joram of Israel in his war against King Hazael of Aram at Ramoth-Gilead. When King Joram was wounded in the battle, he returned to Jezreel to recover from his wounds. While Joram was there, King Ahaziah of Judah went to visit him. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. 2 Kings 9 Meanwhile, Elisha the prophet had summoned a member of the group of prophets. Get ready to go to Ramoth-Gilead, he told him. Take this vial of olive oil with you, and find Jehu son of Jehoshaphat and grandson of Nimshi. Call him into a back room, away from his friends, and pour the oil over his head. Say to him, This is what the Lord says, I anoint you to be the king over Israel. Then open the door and run for your life. So the young prophet did as he was told and went to Ramoth-Gilead. When he arrived there, he found Jehu sitting in a meeting with the other army officers. I have a message for you, commander, he said. For which one of us, Jehu asked. For you, commander, he replied. So Jehu left the others and went into the house. Then the young prophet poured the oil over Jehu's head and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anoint you king over the Lord's people, Israel. You are to destroy the family of Ahab, your master. In this way I will avenge the murder of my prophets and all the Lord's servants who were killed by Jezebel. The entire family of Ahab must be wiped out, every male, slave and free alike, in Israel. I will destroy the family of Ahab as I destroyed the families of Jeroboam son of Nebat and of Baasha son of Ahijah. Dogs will eat Ahab's wife Jezebel at the plot of land in Jezreel, and no one will bury her. Then the young prophet opened the door and ran. Jehu went back to his fellow officers, and one of them asked him, What did that crazy fellow want? Is everything all right? You know the way such a man babbles on, Jehu replied. You're lying, they said. Tell us. So Jehu told them what the man had said, and that at the Lord's command he had been anointed king over Israel. They quickly spread out their cloaks on the bare steps and blew a trumpet, shouting, Jehu is king! So Jehu, son of Jehoshaphat and grandson of Nimshi, formed a conspiracy against King Joram. Now Joram had been with the army at Ramoth-Gilead, defending Israel against the forces of King Hazael of Aram. But Joram had been wounded in the fighting and had returned to Jezreel to recover from his wounds. So Jehu told the men with him, Since you want me to be king, don't let anyone escape to Jezreel to report what we have done. End of reading, 2 Kings 6.8 through 9.15. We could just learn that lesson as God deals now with the people of Israel, the northern tribes. Remember, the kingdom is divided now in these times that we're reading about. Israel, the ten tribes in the north, is separate from Judah and Benjamin, the tribes in the south around Jerusalem. We've been following and seeing how destructive an influence Ahab and Jezebel 
and their children now have on Israel as they lead the people of Israel into the worship of false gods and all of the immorality, the cruelty that went with that abandonment of the true and living God. In his goodness, righteousness, and his insistence on their obedience as he has dealt with the people and blessed them and brought them and is using the people of Israel as a witness for himself, a witness of the true and living God. We have seen how it should have happened as the commander of the armies of Aram, Naaman himself, actually becomes a convert to the true and living God. This is what should have happened over and over again as the people of Israel shine forth and let their witness be known about the true and living God. That was God's plan for them, that they would shine clearly as a great witness to the nations around them. Every now and then we get a glimmer of that, but it seems to have been the exception. Most of the time the people walk away from God, and they have leaders that lead them away from the worship of God. We are prone to wander. There's an old hymn that talks about that. And we are prone to wander, but with God has been so good to them, has blessed them so abundantly, has revealed himself so clearly to them, that it is astounding at times to see them walk away from him. Now, this is a beautiful picture we have tonight in chapter 7. This is probably Ben-Hadad II who attacks Samaria, the capital city in the north. They lay a siege and they're starving the people. And this is terrible. People are so starved that cannibalism sets in. They eat their own children. Way back, 550 years before, Moses told the people that if they abandoned God, a whole series of things would happen. And among them was that they would be attacked, there would be siege, there would be hunger, they would even eat their own children. And here we see it coming true. But God delivers them from this siege. Miraculously, the Arameans are confused and they flee for their lives thinking that the Hittites and the Egyptians have attacked them in the night. And these four lepers who are outside the city gates because of their leprosy, they are the ones that discover the abandoned camp and they have a feast. Then they say, this is not right. This is a day of good news and we're not sharing it with anyone. And they went back and shared it with the people. If you are one who knows God, if you found the peace and the joy and the forgiveness that has satisfied your soul, you need to go back and share that good news. You remember when Elijah was fleeing from Jezebel. Remember after the battle, the spiritual battle with the uh, prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, God sent the fire down and burned up his offering. Remember God told Elijah to go back and he was to anoint Hazael to be the king of Aram, who he was going to use to judge the nation of Israel. He said to anoint Jehu the king of Israel and Elisha to be his successor. Now we've just seen Jehu come on the scene. This Jehu is going to clean the house, folks. He is going to wipe out the effects of Ahab and Jezebel. He goes overboard, goes a little bit too far, but he certainly is a hero. I hope you'll join us for that reading next time. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Soapy reads from the New Living Translation by Kindle House Publishers. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. 
start today and in one year's time, we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.